0: we step in to this weekend, this holy, holy weekend with this holy, holy story, I've been thinking about it all week and I still can't find a better way to sum up this driving force that carries us through it all. If you had to look for the, the thread, the, the the lining that seems to work through this whole story, this Maundy Thursday story, this Good Friday that we're going to experience tomorrow and this Easter celebration that we're going to experience worshiping here on Saturday and Sunday. Well, I got I to gotta be honest. I think the driving force behind all of it is love. And you watch a, a scene like that, and again, I ask these questions, like why on earth am I crying that an imaginary friend, someone's imaginary friend just evaporated and somehow that's gripped me, Right. No, clearly there's something deeper than that. Bing Bong is an awesome imaginary friend. I mean, he looks like he's one of the best, but that story grips us because there's something bigger than just what's going on with him, right? There's something bigger than just Bing Bong and Joy. They're they're on a mission, and they're on this rescue mission, and they're trying to figure out ways to get back to Riley. And if you've seen the movie, then you understand this. Riley is a girl who's blessed with leaving her home state of Minnesota, and she's headed to live somewhere on the West Coast, and she's not handling it well. And so the story plays out of her emotions, trying to figure out as her world crumbles externally, internally, her emotions, and that whole world begin to crumble, and she's trying to figure out a way forward, and so her emotions are working to help her, to rescue her. And what you find as you begin to look, as you watch that scene unfold, is that love is everywhere in it, right? Love isn't just some emotion. It's not just some feeling that we sing songs about around here. No, love is a story, and love is this powerful force that seems to show up, especially when we begin to look at this weekend. I mean, I don't know about you, but I look at that clip, and I look at those two characters in that story, and I think about the relationship, and I think about the way that they must feel for Riley. And I look at those two characters and I think there is nothing that those characters wouldn't be willing to do to rescue her. They love Riley. And as we get started tonight, as we dig into this this idea of communion, this idea of Maundy Thursday, not Monday Thursday, I've heard that joke about a billion times today, but Maundy Thursday, the driving force is love. And We look at the characters and we see that. And here's where I want to begin tonight. I want you to know tonight, each and every one of you tonight gathered here, God feels the exact same way about you. Right? We're so glad all of us have come together for worship. I'm glad that we have the kind of technology where we can welcome those who are watching online tonight. We want you to know wherever you are on this planet tonight. The God of the universe, he loves you. He loves you and he's literally moved heaven and earth to be with you it's why we can put a message like this up on the screen tonight we can say that God is love and it's not just that God is love God radiates love God oozes love God breathes love he is love and if you need any evidence of this tonight if you've had a rough week or if you are just having a rough season or maybe it's just been a rough life for you this is one of the messages I think that's going to carry you through this life. It's just this reminder that no matter what happens, God, the God of the universe, the God of this universe is love. And if you need evidence of that tonight, I want to encourage you to go back to the story. Right? And I'm not talking about a Pixar film anymore. I'm talking about the story, the story of all stories. The greatest story it's ever told. It's coming to its culmination in the celebration this weekend. If you want to understand that God loves you, you don't have to go to just the Easter story. You can go all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember this? Maybe you caught this in Sunday school. Maybe you've read it recently in the Bible yourself. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 1, God creates the earth. Genesis 2, God creates Adam and Eve, and, and they have this amazing life and they're in the garden. Genesis chapter 3, though, things begin to fall apart. And as they find themselves having fallen apart, they disobey God. They eat this fruit, chapter 3 and verse 6. And in verse 7, we get the consequences. This idea that at that very moment, their eyes were opened, right? And, and listen to this. I think this is important. And it was then, it was only then after God had created them and they had disobeyed that they found they suddenly felt shame. This, this thing called shame showed up and they were shamed of their nakedness. So what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. By chapter 3, verse 7, the story is headed south. But here's what I love about this God of the universe. Chapter 3, verse 8, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. What did they do? They hid. The story just keeps getting worse. Verse 9, but the Lord God came to them and he asked them this question, where are you? We've wandered away, and yet this God of this universe comes after us. He's exactly like the characters in that movie. He's willing to do anything to come after us and to rescue us. And in fact, that's what God's story is. God's been telling this incredible rescue story that we get to be a part of. God loves us. God always has, and he always will. Do me a favor, and I turn the person next to you. Even if you don't know him, just punch him in the arm a little bit and just say, hey, God loves you. Some of you just enjoyed that a little bit too much, but that's okay. Here's what I love about being in a relationship with God as well. I mean, we have these moments in our lives, don't we? We have these moments in our lives where it just seems like a little bit of heaven has opened up and heaven has come to earth and we've experienced this joy and we know that God loves us. But here's what I can't stand about being a human being. Moments after we have these moments of incredible joy, we find ourselves where that's the hardest thing in the world to believe. And maybe we don't even think these thoughts, but the stress that we put on ourselves, the the shame that we feel, the the actions that we take, they reflect this idea that believing in God, believing that God loves me can be the hardest thing in the world. Simply put, you and I, right, we have these moments in our lives where we just forget who God is. And so God invites us to remember this forgetting it shows up all over the place. One place uh, I've noticed, especially where this has shown up, is in my own household. It wasn't that long ago, just a couple months ago. actually, I was sitting in my uh, van as we were dropping off. My kids and I were going to go grocery shopping in Aldi. If you're watching online, in another part of the world, you don't know what Aldi is. It's one of the greatest grocery stores on the planet, because they're smart. Right? They do all these unique things. And one of the things you do is you have to put a quarter to get your shopping cart so that you'll actually return it. So you're not you know, doing the Daytona 500 in the parking lot trying to dodge all these shopping carts and all this stuff. right? And so we're going shopping. I'm dropping my kids off because I've given them the quarter to go and to, put this, uh, to get the shopping cart. And I, I have to have this conversation I'm pretty sure parents have been having with their kids for centuries. Don't put that in your mouth. My son, my six-year-old son, and I'm not going to name any names tonight, but his initials are Callan Hermanson. (laughs) Decides to put this corner in his mouth. And I say, Callan, don't do that. Don't put that in your mouth, right? And the conversation parents have been having for centuries continues. Number one, that's disgusting, right? Do you know where that thing has been? And number two, what if you choke? What if you choke? The very next day, not even the next day, the next morning. We just put my wife on a plane. She was going to visit family uh, off in another part of the country. And so it's me and our kids. And we've gotten up early to take her to the airport. And we've cooked breakfast. And, and I'm upstairs doing the dishes. The kids are downstairs watching a movie and playing in our basement. And the very next morning, this same son comes to me. And he's just got this look of panic on his face. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? What, what, just tell me what it is. But he just says, dad, dad. I can tell he's just holding on to something. Dad, I just swallowed a quarter. (laughs) You what? And I'd be lying if I say my first reaction was, Gosh, couldn't it have been a dime? (laughs) Man, I would have taken a penny. And after I thought for a second, right, think before you speak, I realized he was scared. And I was angry. I had this conversation with him I said, didn't we just talk about this the day before? And he looked at me and he said, Dad, I forgot. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times I've had that same conversation with God. Moments in my life where God reveals to me his love for me. He puts me in a worship service where the worship band blesses us by singing a worship song in Spanish. Did you catch that at the beginning of this service? That was awesome. Right? Where we get to be in the presence of hundreds of kids putting their faith to the, into, the, into practice by going through First Communion, right? Somebody praying for me or experiencing reading something God's word or whatever it is, God just whispers to me sometimes just these moments of I love you. And that fuels me, and even two seconds later, I can find myself freaking out. And I kind of come to God, and I just say, forget. I forget. God, I forgot. You and I are people who need to be rescued, right? If not rescued, reminded. Because you and I, we have this ability to forget just how much God loves us. It's why John wrote his gospel. In fact, it's why during the, the season of Lent as a church, we've been going through John's gospel. We've been talking about these I am statements that Jesus had. As, as John is writing his gospel, it's not that he's just writing some letter out of random. It's not that he just met Jesus and had to write about it. No, he understands that he's connected to this larger story. That this rescue operation, this rescue story that began all the way back when God came after us in Genesis chapter 3 and says, where are you? He's got it unfolding, and so he begins to put piece to piece to piece. And we've been exploring those as a church as these reminders. But as the story continues, and most of us, if we've probably been around this story even a little bit, we probably know where the story heads. We know how the story ends. If you're just new to this idea of having a relationship with the God of the universe, I want to say welcome to you tonight. You're in the right place. Because all the rest of us are trying to figure out what this means as well. Because all of us can be these people who forget. But John's writing this gospel and he gives us these clues about who Jesus is. What, what this final rescue operation is going to look like. And as we get each piece of John's gospel, as we learn more and more, as we go through the story, it gets clearer and clearer. But John gives us hints right at the beginning. John chapter 1. John, the apostle who wrote the letter, the book of John, is writing a story Right? He's recording what he's seen about John the Baptist, and as, as he's unfolding even chapter one of his story, of his account for this rescue mission, we come to chapter one, verse 29, and we just heard this beautifully read. Can we give our readers a round of applause again tonight for sharing their gifts with us? And he says, he comes to him, and he says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him, and he says, look, look. It's the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. Now, if you're sitting here today and you think, Lamb of God, well, that's kind of cool. Lamb, I love sheep. Lambs are kind of cool, right? Look at these guys on here. They're, they're kind of cute and cuddly, and I just, you know, you just kind of want to give them a hug, don't you? Right? If you've worked with sheep, you don't probably want to do that. But they can be cute. Especially baby lambs, they can be cute and awesome. right? But if, if you're sitting in first century culture, especially in a Jewish culture, and you hear this phrase, Lamb of God, you're going to stop what you're doing and you're going to look up and you're going to see exactly who John is pointing at. Why? Because lambs were the things that were used for sacrifice. To call someone the Lamb of God means two things. Number one, it actually means it's a death sentence. It means this person is going to die. This person is going to pay a price, and this is the second thing, to rescue someone. If you hear someone called the Lamb of God, you're going to say, something is about to happen, and it's going to be a big deal. If you're sitting in first century culture, not only that, but you're going to begin to think about the Passover. Everybody say Passover. Right? We talked about this in our class. We talked about the Passover, and we ate a bunch of interesting food and flavors and put it all together, right? And it was was a lot of fun to experience. This is what they would be thinking about. And if you don't know what the Passover is, let me just explain it really briefly. The Passover is the equivalent of Independence Day. Passover is the final straw, is the final battle that won the War of Independence from the nation of Israel, from Israel, from God's people Israel from the Egyptians who had had them as slaves for quite a long time. I mean, Pharaoh, he loved having all this help getting all of his work done around his kingdom. But the people were oppressed and so they cried out to God, God sends Moses, Moses shows shows up and he says, let my people go. But Pharaoh loved having his free help just a little bit too much. And so plague after plague, God uses to try and get his people out of Egypt and eventually it comes time for the Passover. And the Passover was simply this. These were the instructions. Find a lamb, a perfect lamb with no broken bones, no blemishes, no defects, just a a perfect-looking lamb. Kill it and drain the blood and put it all over your doorposts. Why? Because on the next night, God said he's going to send his destroyer. And he's going to strike down all of the firstborn. By putting this blood over the doorposts, That's going to indicate that you are God's people. That's how you're identified is through the blood of this lamb. And so this is what happens. It unfolds. And God does what he always does, what he's been doing for centuries. When there is no way, God shows up and makes a way. And there's wailing in the city and people uh, are terrified. And so Pharaoh finally says, okay, get out of here. I will let your people go. And this is a big deal. It's such a big deal in Exodus chapter 12. They give us instructions on what to do with this, right? They say to the nation of Israel as they remember. And by the way, they ate this meal. They ate this meal. They were supposed to have their shoes on and their coats on and their walking sticks ready because God knew when he rescues them, when they eat this meal, stuff's going to happen and they're going to they're hit the road. This is a big deal. And that's why God says this in Exodus chapter 12. He says, this is a day to remember. Everybody say, remember. Remember. He says from generation to generation. He says you must celebrate it. Everybody say celebrate. Celebrate. There's a special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time, he says. (laughs) Celebrate this festival of unleavened bread. And that's the bigger party that God decided to ask the nation of Israel to have every year to celebrate this day when God showed up. He says for it will remind you. Everybody say remind. Remind. It will remind you that I brought your forces out of the land of Egypt on this very day day John calls Jesus the Lamb of God it brings all of this stuff up for the people who must have heard it that day why is John going there because a new Passover is about to happen you see God's people they're still in slavery in Jesus day they're still in slavery they have been for centuries it's not Egypt anymore it's a new kind of Egypt right there are enemies like sin and like death brokenness, pain, all these things in this world, and God won't stand for it. And so he asked them to remember, and not just remember, but to re-participate, re-participate this experience, to, to live it up all the time, to relive the experience of God setting those people free, because now Jesus is going to be the new Passover lamb. God's going to set his people free as well. There's a new Passover at hand. hand. And it's incredible if you begin to look at how Jesus begins to fill this prophecy, right? They, they, They had this Passover experience. Well, it matches up almost perfectly with what Jesus is doing. Even the days that he enters the city, when he comes in, it matches up the same day that everybody's supposed to go out and pick their lambs back in the book of Exodus. When Jesus dies, it's the same night that they would have killed the Passover lamb. And this changes everything because Jesus knows these enemies, our enemies are still prowling around. He comes. He dies on this cross. Right? And this is what John is pointing to, that there will be a day, right, when Jesus is going to rescue everybody. In John's story at this point, it hasn't happened yet. But there will be a day, as Paul writes in Corinthians. It brings God to say, for God made Christ, who never sinned. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians. He says, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. John wants us to understand this is the Passover lamb. And this changes everything. But Jesus has got one more thing to do before he heads off to put all of this final rescue plan into place. And it's at this point, John chapter 13, they come together for this meal and I love what it says there. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come. Now is the time for him to leave this world, he says. And it says that he loved them to the very end. Jesus has this meal with his disciples, and he, he does some incredible things. He loves them to the very end. The first thing he does is he serves them. I got to think this meal had to have been unforgettable because here's Jesus this, this guy they believe to be the son of God. He's this respected teacher, this reverent person. And he's the one that gets down to wash the feet, not just of anybody, but the person who's going to betray him, Judas. In this moment, he, he washes the feet of his disciple who's going to deny him, who's going to ditch him, Peter. Even the people that had the hardest time, that let Jesus down the most, those are the people that he shows up with. Because it's not about us and what we bring to this Jesus guy. It's about the fact that he is willing to come to us. In this meal, it's powerful because Jesus serves them. Not only that, he prepares them. Several chapters in John's gospel, he spends teaching them and he gives them these things. Like we heard in the song tonight, right? In my father's house, there are many rooms. I've prepared a place for you. He tells them greater love has nobody than this, that you lay down his life for his friends. He's telling them what he's going to be doing. He serves them, he prepares them, and not only that, he feeds them. He comes to them, and as they're eating this meal together, he pulls the bread, and he breaks it, and he says, this is my body. This is given for you. Whenever you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. And he takes the cup, and he does the same thing. He says, whenever you drink this, Drink this to remember me. But you see, it's not just to remember. Like when we think remember, we think recall, right? Recall information. No, it's about re-participation. Every time we take this bread and this wine, we get a little bit more of Jesus' presence. He's promised in his word that he's with us. That when we remember him, he shows up in a powerful, powerful way. And so we get to come at his invitation, even here tonight, some of us for the very first time, and I am so excited for you guys, to celebrate this new Passover. Because at the end of the day, we need more of him, amen? And there's no greater example of that for me than going back to that same six-year-old that I told you about the quarter. All of us have our places in our lives, where we're reminded that we need Jesus. And for many reasons as a parent, that's been very helpful in reminding me that I need Jesus. But Callan in particular, from the moment he was born, he's had challenges. He's, he's, when, when Callan drinks liquids, they tend to go into his lungs rather than his throat. And praise God, through some incredible doctors and some prayer and a number of things, we've managed to see some pretty miraculous healing in that when he's getting his swallowing under control he's growing and he's thriving but there's there's still some challenges ahead and we were having a conversation with a doctor recently and they used the s word the word surgery and when we were talking about that just that very idea it just it just made me think about this church about the people that i've even some of you i've been with in hospital rooms or i've prayed with you over the phone or i've been in conversations with you when i've asked how it's going and you're just honest and i appreciate that you talk about this fact that you have this difficult circumstance that you're up against, and yet you're confident and you're brave and you're willing to pray through it. And I had this moment as we were kind of talking with this doctor, and I've said it over and over in my mind since when I found my limit, I think, at least for a little while, as far as I am willing to trust Jesus. I need him. I need him. Because when it's my kid in this situation, I find myself incredibly challenged. Why do we do this meal? Because all of us, all of us need to continually, because we are these people who forget that this God is more powerful than anything. He's more glorious than anything we could ever imagine. We need him and we take this meal because we need to experience Jesus again in a powerful, powerful way. And that's exactly what God has promised for us in communion. As we close with this final clip tonight, my invitation to you is to let your mind wander. Let God take you to those places in your life where you reach your limit, where your faith feels stretched, where it feels weak, where you wonder, God, can I do this? Allow Jesus' own words to speak to you and bring life.